to me, the, the best decade was 75 to 85. That was, that was a magical time. Um, and, and to the, the little stat that I frequently put on top of that is that, uh, 78 Springer wins the title by five points. Uh, the first time a guy had gone three in a row since Red Weber, uh, 79 Eklund takes the title, 1980 Goss takes the title, 1981 my kid takes the title 1982 ricky graham takes the title so you got five champions in five years episode 94 tank slapping podcast on the other side of the mic robbie bobby the people's champion what's up dude Oh, nothing much, man. Just having a good time here, except for I'm a little bummed out. There's not any racing this weekend, really. So we're going to have to just uh, make do, I reckon. Make do. Ah, I'm cool with a weekend off, dude. I was looking at my schedule, and I'm like, oh, I got a race that weekend, a race that weekend, a testing, off-season race, like an outlaw race. Then we go to, what's the next one? Doubleheader at Red Mile. Like, it's just nonstop races. So I'm cool with an off weekend. We actually have a local race here, but supposed to rain pretty heavy so uh just might just uh kick it and chill this weekend but yeah got a good guest lined up tonight we're gonna kind of switch things up uh we got bert sumner coming on um for those that don't know bert he is like the guy you need to ask when you have any sort of question about flat track history stats uh rule book rule book just an just so much info rob um i'm stoked to get him on and kind of just like ask some questions ask like he's he's been paying attention for a long time he's got a lot of insights and good opinions and just uh excited to have him on and just ask him a couple uh curveball questions oh for sure man i cannot wait to hear uh hear what he got to say and um obviously his opinion which i don't always agree with but i agree with it a lot of times but uh one thing is though you know when he answers a question it's because he he pretty much knows the answer. He doesn't just uh, fluff his way through it, which is which is really nice. I've uh, I've gotten to work and uh, come to one of his races before, so he runs a good program. So yeah, I'm 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 really cool and excited to. Uh, you mean fire there's people at him. in our community that don't answer questions that they don't know the answer to, like because everything I see, it's just like it's just experts on everything. Like oh, I don't really know the answer to this, but I'm just gonna sh- just throw something on the wall and hope it sticks, you know? So. That's one thing with Bert. Yeah, he's, I mean, a, he's a fact guy. Like if, if he's going to answer or have an opinion, he's always got something to back it up. And I'm kind of the same way. Like I, I don't get on, uh, you know, synchronized swimming message boards and, and think I know what I'm talking about, but if there's something I feel like I definitely, you know, know an answer to, or I have a strong opinion, I'm going to chime in, but, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's good. Like there's, there's so much stuff. And if you ever gone on for the fans that are listening, his website is dairylandclassic.com and any sort of flat track related history that you want to read about, um, you know, win records, facility records, timeline of AMA and the rules. And the timeline is insane. They have women, women race records. They have um, the list of like all the podiums from, uh, like 1863 to now, like it's just crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's so extensive. It's actually, it's actually a fun read. Like, you know, it's one of those things to where, um, you know, you just, 
it's just easy learning and I, it's a, obviously it's our uh, it's our beloved sport so it's easy reading for for if you like the sport and uh but it's very 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 like completely fact based too which is is really cool cuz like there's stats and everything just like in baseball but uh if it's flat track related Bert's definitely the man and I've honestly like shout out to Bert I've I've given him some credit um just on social media and things like that but I've referenced his website on just everything I do. Like I, before I speak on something, I, you know, I pull up the dairylandclassic.com website. I'll reference, I pretty much go to his website first for reference. Um, I've used it in articles I've used for cycle world. I've done, you know, I've, I'm always trying to reference um, that kind of um, that info from Bert and his website. But yeah, before we bring him on, we're going to bring him on here in a minute, but I want to make sure we shout out the sponsors that, Support our show, make this happen, uh, support the industry, really great companies that just love motorcycle racing and support what we do. Mission Foods, everybody, man, just go out and support Mission. What they're putting into our sport, it's it's actually hard to put in the words, like how much they're giving back to the riders, supporting the teams. Uh, it's it's huge for, for us to have Mission Foods involved. Juan Gonzalez, Satish, the guys over at Mission, they're big fans of racing. Like the guy watches all the races. They listen to the podcast. They're genuine fans of the sport, and that's what we need. And uh, just uh, really, really thankful for Mission Foods. Bell Helmets, the official helmet of Tank Slapping Podcast. Uh, as always, if you uh, start Tank Slapping, you want to be protected by Bell. I had a mean Tank Slapper at, um, where the hell were we? Missouri. Golly, dude, I was... It was not, not ideal, but uh, <laughs> I had a bell on. I was like, dude, this thing started tank slapping and I like, couldn't bring it back. I'm like, holy shit. I haven't tank slapped in like 20 years. So um, yeah, it's just super thankful for bell Yamaha motorsports and Yamaha racing. Check out their website at yamahamotorsports.com motorcycle, ATV side-by-side snowmobile and power products. Indian motorcycle really, really stoked to have the support of Indian motorcycle and everything they're, do- they're doing with their brand with uh, just you know, American flat track, super hooligan racing, the bagger bagger racing the, the the king of the baggers um they have a lot of great motorcycles on the showroom floors the ftr rally the scout bobber chief challenger make sure you go check them out and uh sport indian motorcycle uh everything they do for the sport moto america we love moto america we had a, a really good moto america discussion last week we had our boy chuck chuck excellent we kind of ironed through some rules we were kind of curious on that on that ruling at the last race in road atlanta but a lot of great races coming up. Check out their website and subscribe to their live plus package. It's $109.99 for the season or $12.99 per event. Um, or just go to the races. Like it's what's better than being at the track. Dunlop motorcycle tires, 19-inch and 17-inch flat track tires. Check their website out, dunlopmotorcycletires.com, the official tire of the American Flat Track Series and Tank Slapping Podcast. Uh, support them in their flat track tires, off-road, street. Um, they make the rubbers you need for your bike roof systems of Dallas, Texas, uncle Jerry, just another guy that keeps the sport going. Jay Diggy, Diggy, man. Uh, awesome guy. So much fun to talk to. Like I love seeing Jerry on, on race weekends, almost as much as Cruz does. Cause Jerry gives uh Cruz rides on his Grom every, every week. And, uh, yeah, that's, it's just cool to have, have Jerry there. And, and one of us, one of the guys and, um, hell of a roofer man uh, nearly 40 years of experience if you're in the commercial commercial and industrial roofing business check out his website commercialroofsystems.net and and uh yeah he's your guy for roofing but 
Good show lined up. No further ado, we got Bert Sumner. Bert, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you guys doing? Oh, we are so good. So good, man. So good to have you on. Um, A lot of stuff we could kind of talk about. We'll go over a little background just quick for the fans. Um, We talked about your website, but what's your background as far as flat track goes? Just a a little bio on you and your family's involvement in the sport. Uh, my father started racing pro in 1971 when he was 32, which at the time was the age people were starting to retire from racing. Um, at one point, my father, my younger brother, my older sister, and I all raced amateur. Uh, I turned pro in 85, the last class of the novices. Uh, my brother turned pro a year later. My sister had quit racing by that point. Um, had been racing amateur prior to that. So after 85, it was pretty much pro racing from then on. Uh, my brother and father and I were all experts in 89 together. Uh, my brother got a national number, held that, uh, for many years until he passed away. I, I quit racing in 91 because I treated it like a hobby and it's hard to, uh, hard to have fun being a hobby when you're in the expert class at the pro division. And so in 91, I blew up my Honda 600 and got rid of it and, um, got out of racing. And, uh, then in 2001, I got drafted into promoting the Dairyland classic and 2002, my brother passed away. And since I had just started doing a website for the race, I decided decided to start doing a history webpage on a side of that starting with the memorial page that his was the first name that went on it. And then I added in the other names that I had known from the top of my head from David Jones and Steve uh, Delafield and uh, uh, the underdog Jay Ridgeway and so on and so forth. And that has now grown into, I think there's 130 names on there. Uh, and then it just started morphing from there to more and more history stuff. And so now that's a whole nother, and you alluded to a number of the web pages that I put on there, the, the women's history and the uh, the veterans or the veterans page on there and how the different number plates changed over the years. And the new one I'm working on is year by year breakdown of the different rules things. Um, I've got it pretty well down from 49 to 75 and haven't quite yet cracked the 76 and on, but uh, so you can go there and kind of just look at how, and it's the, the actual rules right out of the rule book, the, the verbiage and what the, I didn't, I try not to put a whole lot of uh, editorial commentary on stuff because it's just, I think it's, uh, you can really skew the history that way. So I think it's just better to say, this is what the rule said. And then it's up to you to decide whether that was a good rule or not. So that's, uh, that's kind of my 32nd or 45 second history of the sport. I don't like to talk a lot about how, when I used to race, but I did make expert. I just wasn't very good at it. Uh, I wasn't a squirrel. I wasn't a squid, but I, I treated it like a hobby and you guys both know you can't treat it like a hobby when you're at the level that, uh, uh, you know, when you get up to that top level, I, I would have been a, probably would have been a fine novice for six or seven years, but I moved, got my points, moved up through the ranks and, uh, was, was out over my skis there for a bit, but, uh, yeah, that was, that was my racing history. And I've been, I've been a promoter long, much longer than I, uh, was ever a racer. You know, going back real quick to your memorial page, and I have personally read every single one of those, and the time it took for you to do that, I mean, I couldn't imagine, but 
I think you deserve a humongous debt of gratitude on that because, you know, not a lot of people know about flat track when you compare it to, you know, say NASCAR or, or stick and ball sports like football, baseball, whatever. But man, the fact that you can go there and like pay homage to the, the past heroes, whether or not, you know, it's from the, you know, the 1920s all the way up to, I think, uh, unfortunately, you know, the, the latest and it's, it's a, it's a sad read, but it's, it's, it's a very cool thing of you to do. And, um, so I, for one, appreciate that, but, um, going back to the last thing you were talking about promoting your, your dairy land, can you give us a little, I think the crowd needs a, a little spiel on that event as well. Cause, um, it's one of the premier outlaw, I guess, type races, you know, uh, in the country. It's one of the ones where there's certain people and racers that have it on the calendar every single year. So, uh, why don't you tell us about that? Well, we certainly try to do that. I mean, it's, it's, uh, we are AMA sanctioned, so we're not a true outlaw, but I realize that that term has kind of taken on a non AFT kind of designation to it. But, uh, my parents started that event in 1985 is actually the first race I rode as a professional. I got one junior point there, finished behind four, uh, four national numbers in the, in the 250 pro class. Uh, and they rode it. They, promoted up until 1999 when they uh, got a group together and they tried to promote and name a grand national, uh, which fortunately or unfortunately got rained out. Um, and then when Mike Kidd had started the formula USA national series in 2000, I guess 2000, he had, I think the pace SFX, uh, series was like 99. And then, uh, he did the SFX thing, I think in 2000 and 2001 to 2003 was the formula USA series. And I was the, I, I had approached him. Uh, my brother and I had gone to the Indy Mile the year before and uh, had never been to a Formula USA or, a, or an FSX, SFX race before. And uh, we'd been to Indy before with the Grand National Series, but this was the first time that we saw what Mike was putting together. And uh, there were a lot of things I liked and a lot of things that I thought could have been done differently and so i sent him a a message and expected to hear nothing back and uh to my surprise he immediately wrote back thanking me for my input and we had that kind of started a dialogue and a conversation and then uh um the group that uh my dad had been working with to put on the the dairyland classics in 99 and 2000 were a little disillusioned with the ama and so since I was talking to my kid and I knew this group wanted to put on a race, but didn't want to do an AMA event, I tried to put the two together to say, Hey, here's a group that wants to put on a race and here's people who want to do it. And, uh, that all kind of worked together. And Mike said, that sounds great. Um, my group signed on, they signed on. And then the group that I was with kind of took a step back and said, well, go ahead and do it. And so that was my recruitment into promoting. I had no no ambition to ever get into it or start doing it or be a promoter. I had no idea how to be a promoter. I drove down to Chicago to meet up with uh, Mike Kidd and Bob Moran. And I think maybe Gary Kidd was with him at the time. And I spent a lot of, a lot of time that first year asking Mike and Gary questions and how do you do this and how do you do that? And where do you get posters made and so on and so on and so forth. And, um, yeah, I'm proud to say that I was the first, uh, privately held or privately labeled, I guess you could say for the USA national, uh, it was the only race that a Buell blast ever won when rich King won it, uh, on the Buell blast. Um, and, uh, I, I, I guess you could say never really looked back. Uh, we've been very blessed over the years. Um, 
you know, that, that, uh, Jared Meese was a huge supporter of ours early on. You know, I met him first in 2003 when he was a first or second year rider. Uh, he, he's won, I think five or six of our events or seven, maybe. Uh, first one was 2009 and then he won again in 2010, 2011, 2012. Um, didn't win in 2013, but he came back one 2014, 2015, one year he, uh, was down in Austin, Texas for the, uh, X games and hopped on a flight and came up and raced with us, which was awesome. There was another year where he, Jeff Carver, and I think Rob Pearson came up, raced our race and then hopped a plane and flew out to Sacramento. Um, you know, we've had Kenny Kubis here, Brian Bigelow won our event here in 2007. Um, Jay Maloney won it on an Indian in 2018. Jesse Janish won it two years ago, 2019 or three years ago, 2019. Um, and for an old guy, he seems to be doing pretty well there on the twins now, you know, for an old TT rider, he seems to be, uh, he's kind of got a, a second life now as a, as a twins half mile guy, which is awesome to see. Uh, and then Morgan Mitchell has been our three, you know, Morgan Mitchell has been a three-time champion. He he uh, came up last year and put it together on a Rotax. And you know, we we I always tell I always tell people uh, I try not to tell whole people a whole lot of things. But one thing that I've believed in since uh, since we've been putting this race on is that you know we we're blessed to have the like our headline sponsor is Hoban Brothers. They're a shop up here uh, up in Newton and Osmond. Um, you know, they're a headline sponsor, they help us out, but you know, the, the event has kind of grown under its own success. And I, I, you know, one thing I usually tell people is, uh, never spend more than you can afford to lose and you'll be okay. Our 2004 event, we had like a $3,000 purse and said, well, that's all we, you know, that's all that our family could put together. Um, that's what we put up and, um, Jethro Halbert won it. Joe cop was second. Sammy Halbert was third. The next year we put up an $8,000 race. The next year after that, it was $9,000. And we've, we've, you know, found ways of not spending more than we can afford to lose. And at one year, I think a couple of years back, uh, uh, when we weren't an AMA sanctioned event, I think we, we handed it out almost $20,000 with the AMA rules were, were back down to uh, the 10 for the purse, but we put that all into the, the pro class. And if you don't have a pro card or a recent pro card, you're not riding my pro class. Um, so that's just the way that, you know, that, that, that's my, that's the way I want to run my event is that amateurs go in the amateur class, pros go in the pro class. And, uh, you know, last place in my main pays 500 bucks and there's not a whole lot of races that can say that. Um, and so we're, 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 we're trying to find ways of, uh, of sweetening the pot a little bit, but we got rules that we got to stick with. And, you know, we're get, we tr- definitely try our best to put on a hell of a show where, you know, I grew up uh, going to Santa Fe Speedway every Wednesday and watching the half miles here in Wisconsin with the AMA Pro Races, novice junior expert. And, um, you know, I, my philosophy is that people pay 15 bucks to sit in my grandstands and watch racing. They don't want to watch water truck races. They don't want to watch, you know, uh, commercials or whatnot. So last year we started at seven o'clock right on the nose. Cause I'm on the spectrum and I hate being late and we finished right at 10 30, which is right where I wanted to end. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to put on that kind of a show again this year. Maybe we'll get, uh, it's an open weekend for AFT. So hopefully we'll be, uh, you know, get some uh, high quality, high caliber guys up here. 
the Honda team sounds like they're interested in coming and said they're coming. And um, Trevor Brunner's our defending uh, uh, Jim Dash Memorial Dash winner, so he said he's coming. And you know, the I know a lot of these guys keep their cards close to their vest, but I'll, I've been reaching out to guys and. You know, with it being an open weekend for the first time in a long time, we certainly hope that uh, guys will come up and, you know, have some brats and enjoy a, a nice, quick little race that we like to put up on here in the uh, in the, the great North Midwest here. Oh, I'm I'm for one super excited because uh, I already was told, and I hope I'm not spilling beans or anything, but uh, looks like I'll get to come up there and turn some wrenches. I've never uh, never turned a wrench for anybody on your your event, so I'm really oh. excited to see. Uh, See how to how to how the track turns out, and see how to figure out how to beat these other guys. I know, uh, like you just said, you you got it all memorized, probably even. But uh, seems like lately the uh, the Wisconsin folk uh, are uh, using the home field advantage. So we'll see if uh, if we can work on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, you know, Dalton has been here in the past. Uh, I think his first or second year he came up, and I think he got fourth or fifth. Uh, and that kid's just an incredible talent. I, well, he's probably not much of a kid anymore because he's probably been around for, he, he's still, you know, yeah, uh, I'm just stumbling over myself, but he, you know, he came up uh, out of the amateur ranks and did phenomenal, you know, right away. He had to take a couple of years off and now he's back to, you know, knocking on the door. And if he hadn't had a, you know, a couple of bad uh, outings here with, with, I think there was a mechanical issue or he put his foot in the hole, you know, that, little things that happen at the races, but you know, that he's got great talent, Morgan Mishler, you know, that his stats, uh, speak volumes about, uh, how well he has come along, uh, recently and he's doing great. And Chase Setoff is, you know, has had a very stellar amateur career and it's neat to see him, uh, putting a triple digit on the factory bike. And, um, you know, it's a nice, I think that that singles, uh, class is, uh, the, the, it, it's doing great things and there's uh, lots of mix up of, you know, who's on the podium every week. And um, that's one of the highlights of the sport right now, for sure. Well, let's get yeah, into some. Um, yeah. Take, take, relax. Dude. You just had a two, two or three questions. Now I'm, I'm going to jump right, in right, here. Right. I got some nitty gritty. Like I'm trying to get some, <laughs> I'm trying to get some of these history questions in. Um, and I know you mentioned, you know, you don't like editorial stuff on your website, but this is a podcast, so we can get more opinion based mm-hmm. here. And you got a lot of, sure. you got a wealth of knowledge. So um, we put together a few questions and then I'll let Rob chime in with some follow-ups and any questions of his own. But um, these, are, I, I have quite a few, so um, yeah. keep that in mind. But, um, and some of these I've talked with you about in, in the past and I kind of know the answers, but I wanted to share with our listeners. Um Okay. So first one I kind of want to talk is the best rider to never win a national. Um, I know there's probably some of these have more clear answers than others. Um, mm-hmm. At least, you know, a clear top two, but in your opinion, uh, best rider to never win a national. Well, statistically uh, Rodney Ferris is head and shoulders above everyone else. You know, that's, that's a bit of a, of a skewed question because, like my brother and Davy Camlin came up through the ranks together and they were pretty even through the whole thing. Uh, Davy got a ride on uh, the Skip Eakin bike and won four nationals. My my brother never had that level of success, but you know, as, as you can attest to early, especially earlier on in your career that, uh, you know, you got to have the right combination, the right team, the right bike, the right, this, and the right, that. And when all those things fall into place, suddenly it's, you know, almost like a light switch goes off. So I'm sure there are, 
uh, countless riders out there who probably could have won a national if everything all kind of all fell together. But I think Rod, I'm sure Rodney is top of the list as far as the most podium appearances without a national win. So he, and he was, he was a phenomenal uh, racer and um, I was there when he passed and that was very unfortunate, but uh, what is yeah, he I would put 20, Rodney on the top of the list. 20 some podiums or something crazy. I think 15. 15? Golly. Yeah, I know. I believe he got 15. Well, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, all right, I won that one. (laughs) But didn't he, wasn't he, like, sponsored by Gary Nixon, too? Is that correct? Like, was his helmet design, like, Nixon's or something? Was that him? Yes, his helmet design was, like, I don't, I I think that he was kind of tutored by Nixon. I don't know if there was ever any sponsorship that could have been early on. He came... I, I forget if Rodney was from Cockneysville or if that was where Gary is. They all start to morph together after a while, but yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But, but Rodney had come up. He was nine. Yeah. Nine S as a, as a junior and a rookie expert. And he had that star on his helmet, but so did Jake Johnson for a while. Jake also, he came from, he came out of New Jersey, Deptford, if memory serves. Mm-hmm. And Jake had that star design as well for a while early on in, in his career. Yep. I remember that. Maroney's, I believe he had those helmets, right? Could could be, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got my Jake Johnson history only because me and Jake (laughs) turned pro around the same time, and he literally like whooped my ass left and right, and I was like, man, that's when I realized that uh, (laughs) I had him, Jared Mees, and uh, Rob Pearson, I believe, in my class, and yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, that that sucked. I think Brian Smith was (laughs) one above me, but yeah, that was tough racing. Yeah, Brian, I think was two thousand maybe. Um, yeah, but yeah are... but it's 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 pretty pretty amazing when you look back and and you know Brian came out and then like a year or two later Jared and uh, or a year before that was Jake. So yeah, I think it was Brian Jake and Nikki Jared, Hayden I think was, was right around that time too. I think yeah. Nikki was yeah. like a year or two prior to Jared. Um, yep, they had he, big, he was a little then, bit before Brian. Yeah, and then before oh, man, him I gotta... was Bigelow and Murphy. Like yeah. it was there was Schnabel. Like it was. Yep. There were some heavy hitters around that early 2000 era that were just yep. beating up on each other. And iron, sharp, iron sharpens iron. You know, it definitely helps having good guys to come up and race with. Like I had, you know, I had Bonzi and I had Kyle Wyman and uh, Justin Hanna, Sassman, uh, Schwarzenbacher. Um, I know I'm forgetting guys, Johnny Lewis. Like I had a, you know, pretty stacked group as well. And, definitely makes you better racing with all those guys for sure. So, um, yeah. Uh, Rob, you got one. Yeah, man. Um, uh, you know what? I've always wondered this from a personal standpoint, cause you always hear about this particular event, but did you ever go to the actual Astrodome event in person? I no, I never did. No. And, oh, and ironically, man. I, I was stationed in the military in Oklahoma um, uh, I went down, I, I was, I served down there starting in, uh, fall of 87 and the last Astrodome race was March of 87 or February yeah, see, of 87. That's such a shame. Cause I was in Houston not long ago. And, uh, it was a few days ago still there. before he was talking about <laughs> it, it is, it is still there. But, uh, so, you know, I didn't tell the tax, uh, the Uber driver this, and you know, Dalton doesn't give two craps about it anyway. Cause you know, he's just young, but the, uh, I was like, oh man, because Corey had told me, like, hey, we got Bert Sumner coming soon, and I'm like, the Astrodome, and I have to be in, in Houston. But man, my series of follow up questions is, is is totally ruined now. So I'll just uh, follow up with um, the. Uh, what do you think about an El Camino? 
Never drove one. Oh, I I know, I know guys used to drive or used to. Rusty do, Rogers. I've seen people. One. I've seen. Yeah, I've seen people put race bikes in the back of it. I think Dick Mad Matt had done that many, many, many years ago. But I might be thinking of something else. But well, uh, you see me no, rolling no, I, 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 in the pit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I n- never made it to the Astrodome. I never made it to Ascot, which closed in '90 or '91. Uh, spent you know spent every Wednesday night at Santa Fe Speedway near Chicago. Um, but yeah, never made it to Louisville. Yeah, there's a bunch of them, and I've never even been. I have never even been to the Peoria TT. I've always had something else going on that weekend, and just never, uh, never got down there. And that's only like four hours away. Well, I got a question. Wait, you've for never you then. been in person. But no. The only I've only been to Peoria, Illinois, twice. Once was for a rainout at the short track when I was a pro, and the other time was when my brother crashed at the Peoria TT in '98 and spent a couple of weeks in the hospital on that. That's the extent of my Peoria TT experience or my Peoria, Peoria visitation experience. Well, Either I have one a, was very positive. I have a Peoria TT question on here, actually. Um, okay. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Hit him up, hit him up. In in their prime. We ask these, we ask people this sometimes if it's related, uh, Chris Carr or Henry Wiles at Peoria, who was more dominant? <sighs> wow. Yeah, that's um, a good one. And that's a, that's uh man, that's uh that that would have been an, that would be an interesting one if you if it was possible to time travel and put guys, you know, uh I think Carr and I say this only because he had to ride a framer. He wasn't on a, a motocross well yeah, you know, see that bike, was, which probably made that a whole lot gentler to land off that damn jump. Well, and that was going to be my question too. So would, and Corey, maybe you can chime in with your answer, but would it be, cause Chris Carr had a little bit of DTX experience, but those older KTMs, they don't really count anyway, but I'm curious mm-hmm. and Corey, you've been near Chris too, but uh, do you think Chris would adapt to the modern DTX that Henry's used to, or would Henry have an easier time adapting to like a Rotax framer? Cause you know, Chris was riding, I think dual shocks and single shock. So he's had, yeah. He's had his back back I mean, by both of them. Henry, I honestly at, at this point, after what I saw last year, it's hard to argue against Henry. And that's coming from like like Chris is my, you know, my boy, but um yes, he's my boy. He's like he's like my uncle Chris, but um it's hard to argue against Henry at Peoria. Like I think dominance, um, man, it's hard. It's it's a it's a toss-up. But with that that yeah. being said, uh Chris is I guess by stats, we can stick to that for the theme of the episode. Um, by stats, Chris is more well-rounded as a rider. He can ride everything. And, you know, he's he's sure. been on the podium there on DTX bikes already. So I think it's easier for Chris to hop on a DTX bike than it would be for Henry to jump on a wood Rotex. But, dude, I don't know. Henry, I think he Henry could ride, you know, he could ride a Jixer at Peoria and probably be fast like yeah well and and the fact that i you know i'll I'll give henry also the nod that he's won there on a twin which chris never did that's true oh yeah good stat that's a good stat there too now 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 the other thing is that when chris was coming up uh you know i haven't talked to him personally about this but guys didn't really train you know guys today are you know talking to Corey texture so this is you know like the 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 preacher talking to the choir, but you guys train, you guys are healthy. You know, I don't think Chris was ever a smoker, but you know, he wasn't, 
rip like Henry Wiles is. I mean, Henry Wiles is a, is a stout man, right? I mean, he's, <laughs> yeah. he, he's, he's a muscular, he, he's not, you know, a linebacker, but you know, he shakes your hand and you know that he's, his you know, chest he's, is he's fully shaped. His fully shaped <laughs> chest. He <Yeah>. is <laughs> yeah, so, not like so, Rob. <laughs> um, no, no. On that note, though, so we can pretty much assume that if we asked each rider, I know what Henry's answer would be. I'd say, Henry, who's better at Peoria, you or Chris? Of course, Henry Rollins says Henry Rollins is better. But Corey, Chris would Chris would no, give Henry the nod. Chris would give you like a psychological answer with facts and reasons and he'd give you like the most in-depth answer ever um henry is definitely more like i don't know i mean they're all we're all confident assholes but um henry's probably the most confident guy i've ever seen and maybe bird can i don't know he's been around for a while but henry's a very confident Mm -hmm. guy chris is confident too though like he's he's as as confident as they come so I don't know. That's a tough one. That, we could we, dude, There's all these we could debate forever, and it's it's fun to like throw in the different error thing. Like, oh, what you know? What what do you think? You know, who was the better in this error? You know, it's ah, it's tough. But uh, kind of yeah, with, yeah. with that- it's it's tough. It's tough, and the and the track has changed so much over the years. You know, I mean, Chris never raced there when it was oiled like it was back in the seventies. Well, then uh, and he never it raced it on the big wins. But you know, those six hundred road taxes were not exactly you know, they weren't designed for jumping at 75 miles an hour or whatever the hell they're hitting that jump at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, talking you know, I, of- I, I think someone asked him about, about the, about the, about going over that jump uh, full throttle once. And I thought Chris said, I did that once only once. <laughs> <laughs> because I, yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think that he said that it, you know, scared the crap out of him, but you know, he said, yeah, I did it once on a dare and I wasn't ever going to try that one again. Rob, have you that ever right stood at comes the, up uh, super quick? Have you ever stood at the face? Of, obviously, you have, but standing at the face of the jump at Peoria, how steep it actually is? It's pretty steep. It is steep. Like I'm every year I stand there, I'm like, did they make this steeper? Like it's pretty, it's pretty steep. Like you're hitting a well, wall. Have, you, have, at, yeah, have anybody have it? Yeah, have have you guys seen the photo of Dave Aldana there in like '73 on the Norton? Oh yeah. Where he's like, he's like 10, you know, 10, 15 feet up in the air. Yeah. 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 You know, and that was on a little thing that had what four inches of suspension. Maybe if you were lucky, you know, probably one of the shocks was probably blown out too. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, you know, technology has come a long way from, you know, from way back then. And that was like 73, I think when he launched off that thing, every time I see that picture, it's like, geez, you know, yeah, that's gnarly. Yeah. But that's also Aldana in his in his prime. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so Bert, I mean, it's no secret. I grew up in the 90s with the Camel Pro days and going to the track with my dad and, um, you know, Car Parker, Graham. They were my heroes. And I didn't really learn mm-hmm. too much about 80s flat track, 70s, 60s, until I started doing the show, honestly. Like, I knew bits and pieces, but um, I've learned so much having Randy Goss on the show and Kenny Roberts and – Wayne Rainey and Springer and um, man, I've learned so much. Ronnie Jones um, that, you know, I always thought nine the nineties, you couldn't beat the nineties in flat track, like the riders, the colors, the helmet, you know, paint the, uh, the leathers, uh, the announcers we've had Dave, we've had Dave Despain on. Um, but man, after talking with a bunch of guys and looking at stats on your website and podium finishes, um, 
the eighties was absolutely stacked with riders. Cause you had guys yep. who were dominant in the nineties that were just getting started in the eighties. And you had guys from the seventies who were still like solid guys, championship winners from the seventies kind of mixed and matched with the eighties. You had like the Chandlers, the road race guys that came out and did some races. Um, what I'm getting at. Springer was there for all of it. Springer was there for all of it. Yeah. <laughs> How crazy. Yeah, um, still there probably. <laughs> what do you think, you know, what's the most stacked decade that you've seen? Um, we've had, I think I asked the Spain the same question and he said the sixties and maybe he's biased because that was kind of, he's a big Carol, uh, Res Weber fan. Um, Res Weber fan. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, for me, like I was always like, man, it was never as stacked as the nineties. And I say stack like top to bottom. Um, but man, I, I, I think I changed my opinion. I, I really think the eighties was, uh, was tougher. Yeah. I, I don't, uh, I don't think the nineties were that great. I mean, the, the 93 season was epic on many levels, uh, you know, a redemption for Ricky Graham coming back and the way that, uh, you know, the way he just dominated that season in a way that, uh, that nobody else has ever done. Um, you know, a lot of people forget that Carr finished second that year with Parker third. Uh, but yeah, for, for the most part, in my opinion, the nineties were kind of blase with the exception of that year, you know, Honda left after 88. Um, to me, the, the best decade was 75 to 85. That was, that was a magical time. Um, and, and to the the little stat that I frequently put on top of that is that uh, 78 Springer wins the title by five points. Uh, the first time a guy had gone three in a row since Red Weber. Uh, 79 Eklund takes the title. 1980 Goss takes the title. 1981 Mike Kidd takes the title. 1982 Ricky Graham takes the title. So you got five champions in five years. And the runner-up in those five years didn't finish in the top two almost the previous year. The, you know, the first year it was Springer than Eklund and the other year, the 79, they flip-flop 80. It was Goss over Hank Scott by one point, which hadn't happened in 15 years. The next year it was, uh, and the other thing with all those years is that it came down to the last race. Um, Eklund wow. in 78, uh, I forget what the, t- uh, 78, I think Eklund and Springer go into the finale tied. Springer wins to win the title by four. Maybe maybe they were off by one. Uh, 79, a little different. Eklund, Eklund won the title at San Jose uh, two rounds early because uh, that was the year that Springer had his, his illness. Uh, 1980, um, Kidd and Gary Scott go into the finale tied. And uh, Mike Kidd finishes second. Gary Scott fourth to win the title. Um, and Randy Goss only lost the title that year by like, 14 points, but he was disqualified from the previous round and he crashed out of the round before that. Uh, where was I? 81. Uh, it's kid over, over Gary Scott, 82. It's Parker. No, not Parker. Ricky Graham wins the title by two points over a rejuvenated Springer who had been pretty much sick for three years. Uh, then 83 Goss rewins the title. 84 Honda comes in with uh Schobert and Graham and they finished one, two with the, uh, uh, the epic run that Schobert has at the end of that season. Uh, and then you go into 85 where Schobert takes his first title of three. I mean, that, that window there, that 10 years there was, uh, you know, you could back it up a few years before that a little bit maybe and get into the, 
you know, 72, 73, 74, there were like 23 or 24 factory riders in those yeah. years between all the different brands, Triumph and BSA and Yamaha was in there and Kawasaki and Suzuki both had road race teams and Harley had six or seven guys on their squad. And um, yeah, that, 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 that to me was an era that was magical because, you know, not nowadays and no disrespect for the, for the guys that are at the top of the game now, but you know, you pretty much, you, you pretty much know that it's going to be Jared or Breyer are going to be one or two or two or one, or, you know, two of them are going to be on the podium almost every week uh, unless something goes hideously wrong. But, you know, back to late seventies, or early eighties, uh, you know, Springer's best championship year, he quote unquote, only won seven races. And now I, I think two years ago, Jared's worst finish all year long was fourth and he didn't win the title because Breyer beat him by a, by a handful of points. So now, you know, and back then, back in the seventies, you know, they had to run XRs at like Castle Rock and Peoria and Astrodome and things like that. And the Ascot TT and, uh, you know, it was, it was perfectly expected that you weren't going to score points every single weekend. And, you know, nowadays those, you know, that that's nowadays if the guy were to miss a final, you know, it'd be like, you know, the sky is falling. Oh my gosh, what happened now? You know, cause that just doesn't happen anymore. Part of that is because there aren't enough racers, but the other part is that they're just so good, you know, for, for a Jared or a Briar to get like a fifth, that's like a, you know, what's wrong with them? <laughs> you yeah. know, finishing fifth used to be like, uh, you know, that, that was, that was like a, a major accomplishment. Now it's almost like a disappointment sometimes because they're just so good. Then they're so consistent. Yeah. They're almost like machines for sure. man. it's, uh, it's like exciting to see like, like almost perfection, but at the same time, obviously it's like, man, like I want to see some other dudes, uh, you know, I would be the first one cheering, you know, we got some other guys up there, but you know, it is what it is. We can't help that. And you can't fault uh, Jared and Breyer for their talent and commitment level. Um, yeah. I want yeah. to shift gears though. Um, sorry about that, Bear. Go ahead. Go ahead. Just follow, follow. No, I, but yeah, I, I was going to say kind of a similar thing that, you know, in, in the mid eighties, uh, Bubba Schobert was, was just lights out from 85 to, to 87. He was lights out. And then he and Parker had a really good battle in 87. And then the tide turned in 88 and then Schobert and Honda disappear. And suddenly Parker's on the top of the hill and he doesn't really have, you know, car had not yet quite gotten to that level yet. So there was kind of a, a malaise there where I think, I think Parker was winning like, you know, 10 or 11 races a year, every year or nine or 10. Um, and virtually all the miles, I think he was undefeated on miles two or three years. Um, and then when, when Carr did catch up to him and they had a two, three year run, then Carr went road racing for a couple of years. So that, you know, th those kind of things made, uh, you know, it would have been great to see Schobert stay. You know, we'll never know what what could have happened if he'd have stayed. We don't know what could have happened if uh, Carr had stuck around and not done road racing. But, you know, he felt that was a challenge that uh, he wanted to try out. And, you know, I think he'd explained it on maybe on your podcast of all the reasons why I did that or maybe not, but, um, you know, choices are made, things happen and you can only, you can only race against the guys who show up to race against you. Um, yep. you know, that's, that, that's, that's common throughout the, throughout the thread, you know, Dalton was a, a single champion and then he moved up to the production twins and then, 
I forget if he won that championship and then he moved up to super twins and now he's, you know, guys, now it's kind of weird because guys are going up and down. Uh, the thing is kind of hard to keep track of where they are sometimes. And, uh, but you know, you could, you've, you know, I, I, I don't know that, uh, you know, there's not an easy solution to that, but it is what it is, right. You know, Corey can only beat the guys who sign up on race day and you can't certainly can't, uh, um, judge or fault Corey for, not beating this person or that person. Well, that person isn't riding in his class. That's not Corey's fault. You know, Corey shows up and he races and the same thing with Dalton and everybody for that, you know, for that matter that yep. I sign up in this class and I got to beat everybody. Or if, if I can't beat everybody, I got to do the best I can to salvage the points that I'm going to need, you know, further on. It's the, the sport is very much about minimizing your mistakes almost more so than it is, uh, you know, just going out and winning races. Although obviously that helps if you, if you can go out and win them all and that makes a championship run really easy. But, um, I think Corey had mentioned that there was a, a race or two already this year that you didn't feel, you didn't feel his best and, you know, scratched together and put together. We could, and Holy cow, we came out with a, you know, a third or a fifth or whatever it is. And okay, now we're going to move on to a track that I feel good at. And, you know, that's, that's, that's what champions do is they minimize their bad results so that, you know, you don't have a big goose egg, you know, where you go, Oh, if I had scored two points at that race, I might, would you know, I might've been better off. Yeah, for sure. And I, uh, I got a spicy one for you here. Uh, so Bert Sumner is handed the keys to AFT, so to speak. What is the <laughs> first thing? <laughs> what, I mean, we, I know we could be here all night and everybody's got their own opinion stuff, but just, just got a curiosity. Somebody you've been promoting races and quite successfully, I might add for, I think you said since 99 or 01, whenever, a long time. Yeah. A long time. So um, to make a significant change, or if there is nothing, that's fine too. But, um, and there's no wrong answer. This is your opinion. So I would, I really would love to hear your opinion on what the first thing you would change. Framers. <laughs> Sit down, 600 Sit framers. Down. That's what we need. <laughs> 250 framers. Two strokes. <laughs> You know, I, I have been saying for years that, uh, you know, it's, it's their show. They, you know, they have to put on the, the product that they feel uh, is going to generate the, the most, whatever you want to call it, the most clicks, the most uh, attention, this and that. Um, you know, th- there are so many little things that they seem to, to trip over. And what, one of the simplest ones that has driven me crazy since, uh, since the introduction of AFT is duplicate numbers. There's no reason in the world to have duplicate numbers. And it's real simple to fix. Hey, Cameron Smith, you're number 44. Hey, Brandon Robinson, you're number 44. Mm, Brandon's a much bigger star. Sorry, Cam, you're changing your number again. It's not that difficult, but they seem to, you know, they've been talking about, you know, they, they, they still, I think they finally now maybe stopped the duplicate numbers, but. Yeah, just, I don't think they have it now because. Uh... Morgan and Sammy, you know, Morgan went to 13, Sammy yeah. went, is kept to 69. And then, uh, I think Cameron's got a new number now. Um, yeah, I don't remember who else. So I think other than yeah. number uh, there one, was another one, Jason, Jason Bloss was 79 and Dalton was 79, but I think Jason, I think is a different number now, but I think they may have finally gotten clear of that. Uh, but that was like, you know, that, that should have been a no brainer from day one. Uh, um, as far as what to, what I would fix, you know, it's, it's, uh, as far as from the, I'm, I'm not a technical guy. I'm a mechanical engineer by trade, but I know nothing about 
internal combustion engine. So I, you know, the, I'm not going to get into the whole restrictor thing. Um, you know, I, I'm not surprised that, uh, um, the Yamahas are doing better, but, and I'm also not surprised that the two factory Indians are doing much better than all the other Indians. Um, I don't know how to fix that problem. Um, one thing that I would really like to see is, you know, when you get your schedule, let's have a race every weekend or every other weekend, because this, uh, three races over 10 weeks or whatever the hell it is. It's what, a they have two races in March, one in April. And then the next one is you got a double header at the end of May. So, you know, NFL has a game every Sunday. Guess what? People get conditioned to, you know, noon on Sunday or, you know, 1, 1 PM Eastern time. I'm going to be in front of the TV watching NFL. Supercross, um, same thing, you know, like and, Supercross and um, yeah. you know, NASCAR. MotoGP, and, you know, yeah. Even the, the I, I know I don't watch any of that racing, but I know lots of people that follow MotoGP and they've got it on their little internal clock of, hey, the race is going to be telecast at this time. Even if they're racing over in Spain, it's going to be on whatever channel at this time. And that's yeah, what they watch. Yeah, and we kind of, we kind of have this, well, there's going to be a double header and then we're going to take four weeks off and then there's going to be a race and then there's going to be three weeks off. And it's hard to build um, storylines like, like with that time off, like people forget who won Texas Honest story. I was in, uh, we were at Missouri. I'm like, dude, we haven't raced in like how long I was like, who even won Texas? And LJ is like, <laughs> you won texas i was like oh like, like bro yeah. it, it's like literally a month ago like w- nobody remembers anything yeah. that happened so it's hard it's so hard to build those storylines um yeah i agree with you yeah. that's i never really yeah, realized hard, how much it bothered hard. me until this year it's like damn that really bugs me like yeah so. well i remember and, for the and, longest you know, the, and, time was i remember for the longest time too the only other complaint i had before that was i think it was like we would have a pretty, we'd have Daytona and then there would be a pretty decent break, but then there was a shitload of races. So was that Daytona then, then this is before, like when they started we doing much Atlanta, went to but it used to be Daytona to Springfield. Yeah. 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 That's what I thought. Yeah. And that was and like good prior to that. Years or so. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, I mean, if you go back earlier than that, it was Houston was the end of January, early February. Then they would go to Daytona and there would be a bunch of races down there. Besides the 200, they would race at a Ocala short track. They'd race at Jacksonville half mile. They'd race at Barberville half mile. Then they would have a couple of days at the stadium. They'd have a novice only night and a novice junior night, a junior expert night or something like that. Uh, but that was always March. And then you had the 200. And then they would typically go to the West Coast and race like Sacramento was usually like early October or early April, I mean. And it was typically so like you'd hit uh, Sacramento and I you know, I don't have any of the numbers in front of you, but I, I can remember, I think when the restrictors went in 87, I believe it was April 4th that they ran the Sacramento mile. And then a week later they're at San Jose. And then a little bit after that, they were at Ascot. So they kind of did this West coast swing and then they came to the Midwest and then they went out, you know, out East. And it seemed like that every week you opened cycle news, there was a race or every other week there was a race in a national. And I guess, I guess I shouldn't bark too loudly about that because, you know, for a while there, um, I was on an open weekend from the nationals and then suddenly I was on the same weekend with the red mile or, um, Kingsport, Tennessee. I was up against that for a while and I was up against Sacramento for a while. And, 
you know, so as a promoter, that kind of sucks where it's like, really, you take the whole month of May off and then you got to land on my weekend. And then they take, you know, half the month of June off. Um, you know, so, so that's, that was always kind of frustrating from a promoter standpoint. You know, you look at the schedule, go, damn it, they're on my weekend again, realizing that I don't have any, you know, any claim to that weekend. But, you know, I think that trying to get momentum going and I realize you don't want to burn everybody out or you're driving coast to coast every single weekend. But I think for the fan base, um, there'd be a lot of value to kind of having uh, a whole bunch of races, you know, every weekend so that you can get kind of a storyline going. Cause it's kind of weird with, especially like, uh, like last year, I seem to remember JD beach was on the podium at the first race. And then he was mid pack again, the second race this year at, uh, Volusia, it was kind of same, similar thing. He was up front for the first race, but then they rained out the second race. And then it's like, okay, well, you know, was that an anomaly? Is that a trend? And you, you have to wait another couple of weeks for the next race. And then it's a completely different track. It's, you know, weather and whatnot. Um, I was just going to say something else that I would do if I was in charge of AFT and damn, the thought has just left my brain, but it would have been a good <laughs> well, one. You got, oh, it been you awesome. got, no, yeah, you got, you got a good one in there. Though. I think, I think we could summarize that with uh, a consistent schedule or scheduling consistencies, yep. so to speak. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I can, I can agree with that. I mean, I, I'm, I've made it no secret and neither has Corey that, you know, we're not super hyped about taking so much time off, but, at the same time, you know, I know there are factors. So before I blast AFT, you know, a lot of these car tracks, you know, they're scheduled and their dates. So they're, the motorcycles are kind of small potatoes compared to their probably weekly shows. And, um, um, but, um, all right, well, I got another, sure. another quick one in, um, Hey, I just thought of it. What's up. It just came to me. One more thing that I would change having, you know, so last year I went to Joliet and I go to Lima every year and the the announcing is definitely set up not for the people in the grandstands. If you're sitting in the grandstands, you're on your own, dude. You know, you gotta you gotta have a hearing aid or something to hear what they're trying to announce to you because they've got the volume level set for the online audience and not the in house audience. That's something that blows that should be fixed. I've I wonder that. well I'm I've I'm heard that. Yeah, I'm not an audio person, so I don't know uh I don't know uh hope maybe Scotty Dubler uh, listens in and um you know, he'd he'd be uh, the one to maybe ask for that. I don't even know if he does the actual, um, you know, tuning of the the systems or whatnot. But uh, yeah. maybe he can pass it on because that has been something you know multiple people have said. And uh, yeah, so I think that's that's definitely v- valid. I don't know if that's something like as soon as I got handed the keys, but um, but I still think that's very very important because obviously you know you want to keep people coming back to the bleachers as well as uh, yep. you know online. But the bleachers are where it's at. So uh, yeah, man, that's a good one. Um, so touching base or, or kind of off that same subject though let's go to the um let's go to the equipment side you know i'm curious because you have been around long enough to where you can probably um you know it wasn't an old person joke but you can probably remember uh you know framer classes 250 classes mm-hmm. you're a novice junior expert as far as that goes how how would you would you keep it the way it is with 450 and the two twins classes would you go and say no nope, we need 250s for the for the make you know and then 250s 450s then twins or what do you think on that i think for the twins what needs to be done is um find out what the oems are willing to support what kind of what kind of uh displacement or configuration or whatnot 
it seems like, you know, I realize that we've always been 750 cc's, but, you know, that dates back to 1933, if not earlier, uh, just because that's what they picked for a displacement. But, you know, if the OEMs are all building or, you know, find out, actually sit down and have conversation with them. I don't know how much of that has been done in the recent past. Um, you know, the, that uh, if anyone remembers the Project 2000 that the AMA came out with, Back when the that that the TL one thousand was the big bike there, I know Corey's dad built that Buell that Mike Hacker rode. At least I think that, or maybe it was Bigelow. Was Bigelow ride that? Uh, they yeah, because Johnny they both rode it. Built they the one that Hector. No, they both rode it. My dad. Okay, built, they both they, did. Yeah, they built both those okay. bikes actually. Sure, but that class was envisioned back in I think ninety seven because Harley was unwilling to commit to how much longer they were going to build XR motors. So they tried to come up with this new class that would bring new prod, you know, new, new metric bikes into the series. And, you know, the TL 1000 is really the only one that evolved from that into the grand national series. Um, But the, it seems to me that, you know, the, with the, between the Kawasaki 650 and the MT 07, it seems like there's a, there's at least bikes that are already there, but, you know, I don't know how long those are going to be continue to be developed um i it's think someone crazy needs to though, Bert, like, sit down and talk well there's so many of those there's a lot of cali twins that are sitting in garages right now like guys aren't racing them and they were using like a lot of the guys were using the buy-in as a you know kind of an excuse and you know which is fine like i i get it the buy-in was ridiculous but there's no buy-in anymore um, you know, there's a production twins class where they, you know, they, you know, a lot of their excuses and mine as well, not an excuse, but like, I don't want to go race an Indian on my production bike, um, at the time, like a full blown Indian motorcycle against my, my Kawasaki, but you know, there's a production twins class and there's so many riders and equipment on the sidelines. So it's, uh, it's, it's actually crazy. Like, I bet there's probably, I bet there's close to a hundred Cali twins, that are built that aren't that aren't going to AFT races on the weekend um, across the well, country. Yeah, like, you go back and look, and they were, you know, there there was I, I haven't collected all the data, but I'm pretty sure that that right around 2015, 2016, that there were more Cowies than Harleys at a lot of events, just because the Harleys were, you know, hard to get, and you know, you scored two podiums on yours if memory serves. Yeah. Um, you know, the, Brian Smith was obviously his and that one that they built were head and shoulders above all the others, but there were plenty of guys that were getting top fives on Kawasaki's and now where are they? Well, you, yeah, you would think in the production twins class, they would be the, they would be the most ridden uh, manufacturer. And actually I think it was Texas in the main event. There were only two Kawasaki twins in the production twins main event. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. There's, there's know, not many. And to your point, where are they? Yeah. Right. They've got to be somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, damn if I know where they are. And I, I don't know if that's the, you know, personally, I think, I think the, the purse payout in the, in the national is a little on the light side, but that's just my opinion. But I, I honestly don't know. You know, I realize that guys are going to spend as much as they possibly can on stuff, but I'm just surprised that just, a, you know, five years ago, right. Five years ago, 2017, you know, the Cowie 650, 750 was like, this is going to be, you know, uh, obviously once Indian came in that, that that shifted the whole dominance of power completely away but you know the cowies are really coming along as okay and you know they're they're 
competitive. You know, you can go out and build one. I think Jake Shoemaker told me he spent what fifteen thousand on his, and he he scored two podiums. You know, was, one was at Hagerstown. I forget where the second one was. Um, it's a you know, and that's awesome. You know, that a guy can go and put a bike together and uh, you know, a production bike and be competitive with it against you know the the old XR. Um, it's it's just you know what motivates people to go racing or not go racing i honestly don't know don't yeah. know and and it surprised me because to your point you know damn well that there are these bikes are sitting in garages just collecting dust and i i don't get that and i don't know how to fix that um you know that's uh you know, the, the whole how we got here is challenging. I suspect that there's a lot of people that are waiting to see what next year is going, you know, whether they're actually going to pull the trigger on merging the class together or not. You know, there have been a couple, there have been several false starts uh, during the AFT era of, yes, we're going to do this. And then, wait, we're not going to do that at all. And so I think there's a lot of, my guess is there's a lot of trepidation of nobody really knows what's going to happen tomorrow because there's been too many times where they say, yep, yeah, we're going to do this. And then they don't. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing official. Like we've heard, I've heard they that's the plan. They they want to do that, but what are the rules going to look like? Are they going to take back away traction control, and are they going to take back away twingled bikes on the current production bikes and super twins? Um, you know, because it's not feasible really for a lot of these production guys to figure out TC and figure out the twingle and. Um, you know, it's, there's a lot of unknowns heading into the, heading into the next off season that guys are going to have to figure out. But, uh, yeah. So speaking of that, I, I kind of wanted to ask you, it it gets talked about a lot on social media. Um, I see it a lot. And as I'm kind of on the fence, like as a kid who, once again, I grew up at the racetrack. I, uh, I literally went to my first pro race when I was like two, two or three weeks old. Um, and I've seen all these guys back in, you know, the, the fields were thick. The, I don't know if thick's the right word. The fields were, the fields are heavy. There's a lot of good guys. Um, but the guys we have today, you know, the, you mentioned like the, the training has increased and the equipment is different. And, um, you know, there's, it's just different now than it was in the eighties and the nineties. We just don't have the quantity of guys, but to go on, you know, seeing guys on social media and, just expressing, you know, thoughts like, oh, these guys wouldn't hold a, you know, you know, hold a, a chance against guys like Parker or Carr. And it's like, it's like, dude, our top guys, like, like the Mises and the Briars that you mentioned, like, they're as good as anybody I've ever seen. Um, you know, it's, we just don't have, we don't have 18 badass guys in every main event, but the guys that we have, I feel, you know, everybody is super talented that that's out there. Uh, what are your thoughts on kind of comparing the general talent from the, the guys out there today? Like it bums me out for the guys like Briar and Jared, you look back and, Oh, they only had the race 14 guys. It's like, dude, like a hundred guys could show up and they'd still, they'd still be doing what they're doing. So it's, it's tough for me to see that kind of. Yeah. And I think, because I, th- I think you had Ben Bostrom on once, and then if memory serves, he made, it was either him or someone else <clears throat> made a, a very astute comment, and, and they touched on the same thing of, and I thought that his comment was something along the lines of, you know, are they better conditioned now? Absolutely. 
but are they, you know, I'm trying to, he, he said it so eloquently and he's like, and I just thought that that's exactly right. That, um, they're still, as, you know, they're just as badass as they were back then, but nobody trained back then. You know, the guys were drinking beer and smoking cigarettes and, you know, chasing the women and whatnot. And, you know, they weren't training, you know, you see pictures from the pit area of the seventies and, you know, guys, guys with their shirts off and they look like, you know, they're not ripped, you know, they're not even conditioned. Nobody went running back then, but you know, it was a lot more raw talent then. Um, and, and your success was basically, you know, how, how it's kind of like a shutoff contest. I'm going to, I'm going to go into the corner deeper than everybody else and, and get there first. Um, you know, if it was just one guy, then I could, yeah, I, I, I personally don't put a lot of, uh, um, credit to the, um, you know, Jared wouldn't be as good if you teleport him back. Well, he's, you know, he's got Briar right on his butt and Briar is no slouch. So, you know, the fact that there's at least those two, and obviously that I don't mean to show any disrespect to JD and Dallas and Bronson and Brandon and, and the other guys, um, it's just a different time. Uh, but I think that the guys that are, you know, the cream always rises to the top and you can't fault Jared that he didn't race Springer in his prime. That's not Jared's fault. You know, Jared has proven he's beaten everyone he's lined up against 62 times in his career. And only two other guys have done that ever before, you know, uh, an interesting stat that I like to throw out every once in a while is that when Chris Carr was a rookie in 1985, the two longest tenured guys on the circuit were Gary Scott and Kenny Roberts. And Kenny Roberts only rode the Springfield mile that year on the dirt track. But those guys were retiring and they, they had, you know, their, their rookie year was 72. So that was their, what, 14th season. And now a guy doesn't even sniff the championship pretty much unless he's been in there for 14 years. So it's, it's just a completely different time. It's, it's, it's not a sprint like it used to be. Um, you know, back in the seventies, you know, if you had a 10 year career, that was, that was amazing. Um, and almost unprecedented, um, you know, Springer kind of broke the mold on that where he just kept going and going and winning and winning. Um, you know, uh, and you know, Jared's been doing it for, I think, I think his first national was the Springfield TT in 2003. So this is his 20th season you know, doing it. And he's obviously not showing any signs of slowing down. Um, it's just, it's different times. It's different, uh, different equipment, different, this, different, that, but, um, you, know, you could argue all you want about how things were different, but you know, the, the truth, the, the truth remains that they don't hand out number one plates for participation. And that's there's, very there's true. Never, there's never been a national champion that was awarded on participation alone for thanks for being here. You know, we have to give it to someone. We're going to give it to you. That has never happened in the history of the sport. There's always been a couple of, couple of heavyweights going toe to toe or several heavyweights. It was just, it was a different time. Um, it's unfortunate for those who didn't get a chance to live it because uh, you know, I've said many times that, uh, going to Santa Fe Speedway every Wednesday in 1980, we saw Steve Eklund almost every week with the number one plate at a weekly race. And the next year, 1981, we saw Randy Goss with the number one plate on a weekly race. And you don't see that anymore. You know, a lot of these guys, they race the 18 races a year and that's all they race. 
Um, I think Chris Carr has said that, you know, when he was a junior, he raced like 50 races or something like that his junior year. And now you got a bunch of guys that race 18 and that's it. And it didn't used to be that way. Um, yeah. but, you know, a lot of guys back then were raced to get the money to go to the next race. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I think it is I, from a promoter standpoint, I think it's really, really cool that, you know, you see like Jared Meese, he, he comes out to a lot of, of races and, and yeah, I mean, he wants to win money. I mean, Jared's so tight. He's still got his lunch money from, you know, middle school. Cause I don't even think he made it to high school, but he, uh, but he's, he's grinding and he's, he's racing and, and he usually comes to Greenville and I know he goes to the throwdown and, and like you said, he's, mm-hmm he's got to be the most dominant rider at your event from what it sounded like you're saying. And then, um, you know, yeah. same thing with other champions, you know, hats off. Corey goes to some outlaw races. He goes to Greenville. He goes to, uh, he goes to, um, the RVA race that hacker and uh, Nickens are putting on mm-hmm. and, and does that. So I think it's, I think it's important, you know, but I'm not going to hate on Jake Johnson or anybody like that. Cause I know, you know, I don't think I saw Jake get too many outlaw races really ever. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, but that was just like you said, that's, that's the biggest thing is, yeah, sorry, I cut you off, Rob. The, the biggest thing that guys have to figure out, and maybe it was different then, like you mentioned making money to get to the next race, it's risk to reward for certain guys. Like, like for me, you know, and I don't even know if, like how much I should talk about like my payout and stuff like that. But for me, if I go to a local race, you know, and, and, uh, I win 200 bucks and, risk getting hurt at something like that, where, you know, getting on the podium at an AFT race is, um, way more financially sound for many of the guys than, and I don't know, I don't know what the podium bonuses were like back then. I know I see the big camel pro checks for the camel challenge and, and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, but it just, yeah, it's, it's, it's risk to reward. And, maybe even guys now are so focused on training. You can make that argument that, you know, they're training on the off weekends to be at their best for the nationals. Like how many nationals back in the day, maybe were guys, you know, where their equipment or their bodies tired from doing all those outlaw races that they weren't a hundred percent fresh for, you know, the Springfield mile or whatever. Um, I'm sure they rode mm-hmm. different bikes, but yeah, maybe it's just the landscape of it has, has changed. Like you don't see MotoGP guys doing, I don't even know if that's a thing, but doing outlaw road races overseas, really. Right. You don't see supercross, the top supercross guys doing the local fair race on a Wednesday night. So, um, yeah, Yeah. it's just things, things have changed, man. And it's, you know, neither better or worse, you know, you can make that argument, but it's just different. Well, it's, it's, it's a different landscape and, and I knew you, you hit you, you glanced on a very valid point that back in the day, guys were riding their own stuff. And so I built this bike. I've got to pay for this bike. So I'm going to go hit these races. Um, and there were so many more non-nationals than there were nationals. Um, you know, uh, guys like Charlie Chapel and, and uh, guys like that would talk about how you could race, you know, five nights a week, six nights a week. Uh, and make more money doing that than, you know, holding down a day job. Um, whereas I think nowadays, I don't think there are a lot of people that ride their own stuff. They've got some kind of a, a deal, right? And, and I don't know what your deal is, but you and Gene G Racing, um, you know, there's obviously some, whether it's a, a formal contract or whatever, but there's an agreement of you're going to ride our bike to win this number one place. That's the focus. And if you go out and get 
dinged up, you know, by some kid who's trying to make a name for himself by beating CTEX and he, you know, puts you in the wall. Now you've got a big problem because, you know, you, your whole point of being on the two wheels is to win that black and white number one plate. And so, yeah, I, I get it that the landscape is so completely different. And now it seems like that, um, that maybe there's just a lot more, and I don't know how to phrase this without sounding disrespectful because that's not what I'm trying to get at, but it seems like that whereas in the seventies guys were kind of, they were all riding their own stuff. Whereas now it's like there's guys that build the bikes and then they hire riders to ride the bikes. And if you're not able to ride that bike, you could lose that ride. And then that's bad for you. Well, and it goes back so that's to a, the, that's a roundabout way I think of trying to get there. Well, and it goes, I, you know, people have asked me about the challenge this year. Why, why, why isn't Corey doing the, uh, the mission challenge, which is the top four production guys into the, mm-hmm. uh, into the super twins thing. And that was a team decision, like G and G racing. Corey's they, scared. Yeah, I'm scared. Uh, they build, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they build my equipment, you know, they bust their asses in the garage all week. And, um, it would benefit me to do the challenge because I'd love that extra money. Like I think Janish, I did the calculations he's making almost three grand at uh you know i'm sure jesse will correct me if i'm wrong but i think he's making an extra three grand running those challenge races so for me it'd be and he's he's 10th in points (laughs) (laughs) so it'd be cool to make that extra change but like from from a team standpoint like they need their bikes fresh like they're on the road all summer long they're based out of southern california so if we, and they literally live in hotels for five months, if we have an issue with the bike, they can't go back to the shop, replace engines. Um, they're hoteling it for the summer. So keeping those bikes fresh for, like you said, trying to do what we're doing um, in the production class is uh, it takes priority. So uh, we have a couple sure. ideas maybe down the road. Um, I have a personal bike. Maybe we can make something work where I can do those challenges. It's like I want to I want to do them but it's just, um, mm-hmm. it's just, it's out of, it's not my call. So, and I respect my team. Like I, I sure. get it. So, um, yeah. So Rob, you got yeah, and th- that. And yeah. And, and that was one of the weird things when they announced that challenge is the very first thing that I thought about that is, <clears throat> excuse me. I just wrote a, I don't I forget how many laps you guys, I just wrote a 20 lap main event. And now I got to turn right around, you know, put a new tire on. Hopefully it's scuffed in. Maybe it's not scuffed in because, you know, Maybe you didn't do that because you weren't thinking of getting in there. Now you got in there. Now you got to do all this. Now I got to go right back out, you know, whereas the Super Twins guy has been sitting there for two and a half hours, <laughs> you know, since his semi or whatever. Um, yeah, that's something that, that, and I think even Jesse said that after that first race, like, yeah, he, he said he was pretty winded by the end of that uh, second main event of the night. Yeah, well, I can understand why. You know, you just rode your ass off in one main event and then you got 10 minutes to turn around and do another one. Rob doesn't um, but, get winded. You know, it all Rob, depends on Rob's what's going to happen next year. <laughs> oh, me? What do I do? <laughs> no, you're just an animal. You don't get tired, man. You just got that endurance, like that. You got that athletic build that we're all we're all searching for. That's yeah. That's why you run I mean, thirty tried classes do... at Winter Throwdown and win six of them. So I only can run five or four by AMA rules, but I definitely want to run some more next year. So we'll see. I might sign up as uh is Robert Q. Peter Schmidt, the third in another one. And just, uh, one will be my bull taco alter ego. And then I'll just run the, uh, the modern, the modern stuff. And then maybe I'll sign up in pro too. 
So who knows? Who knows? You'll never know what I'll do. I never let you know my next move. You can wear my leathers and just ride for me. Oh yeah, we wear the same size for sure. Yeah, fly <laughs> right up. Get your airbag suit. I got my own built-in airbag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got. We'll ask. I have one or two more, and I'll let you. I'll let you go. We could chat for hours, but um, yeah. I ask. I ask this to a lot of people, and people give me like a lot of listeners. They they give me shit for it, but. And this is such a loaded question, but um, Mount Rushmore, man, Mount Rushmore, who you got? Who's the, who's the Burt Sumner Mount Rushmore flat track? You know, it's tough because there's so many different eras and the eras didn't, you know, the breakless era. And then you had the seventies and, you know, the, uh, that makes it very, very tricky. As far as the guys that I have seen personally, um, Hey, wait, wait, real fast. Before you, before, before you answer that, did you see the, okay. I did an article. It was like the top 10 accomplished flat track riders. Do you remember I did that? Like, I think I did it for cycle world. I may have, it's a, it's a blur right now. All the things okay. that I read, I, was gonna ask, I, 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 was, I try to keep up on most of the stuff that you write, but I can't, I was gonna can't ask say that you, I got it all. If you read that one, but okay. Anyway, yeah, go, go ahead. Um, we did this prior, me and Sabedra did this. And we had way different answers. Um, I don't even hmm. remember. He, I think he left out Scott Parker actually on his Mount Rushmore. Um, <laughs> I think, I don't know. I don't want to throw Sam into the bus, but it was, uh, yeah, we had, I think we had one guy the same, um, which is crazy. Um, yeah. So who, hmm. yeah. Uh, spanning the different errors based on talent accomplishments. Um, are we going to have his opinion or is he going to give us statistically though? That's the question. Nah, it's got to be want, opinion. Here's the thing. Yeah. I want his opinion. I mean, I know there's statistics, but you know, I want to like in his heart, that's what I want to see. Like if he had four factory riders to sign for his team, who are they? Oh, I like that. I like, I like that. A little different. If I had four, four, so four guys that were factory riders. Or just no, four, no. If you four had four factory here. bikes. You're, you have four factory bikes. You yep. got to hire four riders in their prime in flat track. And you have a time machine. You have a time machine to go back right. into their prime and get them. Well, obviously we have a time machine. Yeah. Well, it's not obvious to everybody. <laughs> we got one sitting in the shed. Load it up. <laughs> Crank it up. <laughs> uh, uh, man. Thick man, I, and, and thick is, man, uh, or no? I, I, he, he would definitely, you know, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a very loaded question and very tough to pick. You know, if I was, if I wanted someone that I felt was going to win any race, any time, that would either be Dick Mann or Chris Carr, or you know, um, you know, those would be the two that would come to mind if I was looking for, you know, Rusty if I needed Rogers. someone to win. <laughs> Five short tracks, five TTs, five half miles, five miles. It'd be car and man would be at the top of my list there. Or, you know, right. Steve Eckman would be two more. close. All right. You got uh, three. Jeez. Um, if you got a hell of a team so far, I, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, man, I wish I'd had time to actually think about this. Me, me and my he, me and the history amigos went through this a few years ago, and we were we kind of came up with all completely different answers as well. well so, so, so uh, far you've got sixties and seventies covered. Wait, you said Eckland? He was just saying like for, for most sure, well for rounded. sure I'd go with Dick. I was yeah for sure for for well for most rounded I go with with Carr and Dick Man as one and two. All right, so there's the sixties um, and the nineties and early two thousands. Um, 
Bubba Schobert. Or Kenny Roberts, most well-rounded. Uh, oh, shit, shit. He was, but he was really skewed towards towards uh, road races. He won the vast majority of stuff was on road race. Okay. Um, but uh, oh man, I mean, get who who who's going to be the fourth one on that list? Um, since I hope he comes to my race, I'm going to put Jared Neese up there. Not a bad, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely have to put him up there. You know? And and as a as an honorable mention, you know, I've already said Schobert, but. When Ricky Graham was on, he was incredible. And I will I will also add to that that Scott Parker was incredible, but Ricky just had a flash to him. Uh Parker just went out one of the my, my brother went to Del Mar one year and he came back and Parker had won it again and uh, he told me the story. My brother's not here anymore, so I can tell the story, but he goes, yeah, you know, that track is a shithole. You know, it's sand and rough and guys in the pits are going, this is ridiculous, whatever. And then Parker goes out and sets a new track record. He goes, Parker just doesn't care. He's there to race a motorcycle. That's what he's paid to do. He doesn't care what the track's like. He just goes out, twists the throttle, and just gets in everybody else's head. And I'm, and I thought, yeah, that's kind of, you know, he you know, he had he had the whoop whoop thing and all that. And, and he was, you know, uh, a fan favorite and all that. But you know, when I think of guys that were just flashy, he just got the job done. You know, he was almost like a psychopath. He just went out and just got shit done. You know, he'd go out and, you know, there was one race at Springfield. There was this gaggle of guys, like 12 guys come through, come past the start finish line. Parker's mid pack. And all of a sudden there's this huge roar and he passed everybody in one and two and took the lead out of two. It's like, how the hell did he do that? He just decided he was done dicking around in the middle of the pack and he wanted to lead. He just, <laughs> Yeah. He, he just had a different gear and a different mindset. And, you know, when he decided it was time to go, he just went and, you know, found another gear and he was gone. Um, you know, so, so he was, he was, um, he was amazing and incredible. Ricky was just really flashy and Bubba was just insane with, with what he was able to do on a motorcycle. For me, it's the three guys I have, no matter what is Parker Carr and Graham. And I know that's kind of mm-hmm. all the same error, but you can't argue the uh, just the stats on how much shit they've all won. Like it's it's insane. Sure. Um, yeah. And then the fourth guy is is tough for me. Like I've had, I've had, man, I want to say I've had Schobert on there. I've had you. You can almost make a Jared Neese argument. Um, you can make you know Res Weber and Dave Despain was trying to sell me on a uh, Carol Res Weber. He's like, I don't know who who you got to take off, but he needs to be on there. And I was like, Oh, I, was like, I, I didn't realize he was like, you know, I know he was legit, yeah. but damn, like, you know, take sure. anybody off. And, and Joe Springer. Leonard won 27 races in like seven or eight years or something. You know, yeah. when Joe Leonard was a rookie, yeah. he won one of every type of race out there. He won a short track. He won a, no, they didn't have short track in 53, but he won a, in his rookie year, he won a half mile, a mile, a TT and a road race. Yeah, yeah he was, he was, but, right, and that was back when they ran, you know, seven fifty brakeless everywhere. Yeah, and, and like you said, you ask, you know, anybody from different eras, it's kind of like the whole Michael Jordan versus LeBron thing. It's like, like to me, sure. LeBron's not even on this top five, you know, and Jordan's so far ahead. But you know, and then you ask even older guys, like, oh yeah, right, well, Will Chamberlain did this. You know, it's just everybody's got a different view, depending on their era. But uh, I mean, I, I definitely agree with with yours for sure, and. One that would always be on mine would be kind of a hypothetical just because, you know, he devoted 
the rest of his time to road racing. But uh, I feel like if Nicky did 100% dirt track, I feel like he would have been on that like Grand National Champion list. Just that's just my personal feeling there. Oh, no he brainer. certainly had, you know, he he certainly had, uh, um, certainly had the talent and certainly had the drive. You know, anyone that watched him, I think he won almost every single cylinder event in 2002. I think maybe he finished. He didn't win the Tunica race that uh, that Jake won, but other than that, I think he won every other single cylinder national that year. But um, he probably would have won Tunica, but he, uh, I think, did he wreck or get wrecked in last? Yeah, he got crashed. And, yeah, yeah, and then he yeah. then he came back to finish third, riding yeah. the riding who, the walls. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, who starts on the back? row on the single file he was starting in the turn kind of like against the black wall and and that's an indoor and you got to be aggressive but he didn't wreck anybody to move to the front either he just made it away so i I think it's a safe bet if if a guy can will his way to a moto gp title over valentino rossi i think he could probably figure out a way to will himself to a few uh flat track national championships i know it's not to take anything away but that guy was he was built different and and his brother tommy i saw him race an xr as a rookie and i thought he was going to be special too but then he and he was but he went road racing but i really would have liked to have seen if tommy had raced more flat track that could have been an interesting story there as well oh for sure well they all three had the potential to but you know i mean you can't fault them they went road racing in a time where you know, Nikki was probably making a million dollars a year riding for Honda in the America, you know, winning on the RC 51. Cause back then that's when, you know, Matt Maladden and Ben Spees was coming up through the ranks and it was just yep. incredibly, incredibly deep. And, you know, they were spending stupid money um, to win the championship. So, um, you know, sure. who, who's going to blame all three of them for going after the money? Cause you know, I remember back then oh, absolutely. Was, you know, I was a pro absolutely. That, that, that you go, you go where the money is because you know the this life is short and if you have an opportunity to make a bunch of money doing something you love doing you'd be a fool to say no thank you american honda i'm gonna sit here and run yeah you know run this old tired xr and hope i can will it into the podium a few times a year yeah but but i remember seeing him to i can see him clear as day on the esob harley at the coin and i thought and i didn't even i didn't even uh realize it was tommy haven i'm like that kid is 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 fast and he's going to be badass when he gets a couple more years under his belt and then he went road racing and um yeah i don't think i don't think enough people give tommy hayden enough credit for for how good he was as a dirt tracker so i just wanted to say that yeah no for sure and then uh you know i think i mean it's it's obviously going to be almost impossible to ever duplicate what they did at springfield uh, tt because you know we see brothers and then brothers and sisters and stuff like that but it, I don't know any other families with three riders coming through the rings off the top of my head. I'm sure there's some out there. So if you're listening, you know, no, no disrespect, but, um, you know, we mentioned uh, one at the start of the show. <laughs> Which one? Me, my brother, and my dad were all experts together. Oh, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, 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 I knew that, but I did say, I said brothers, though. So it's just... Yeah, there you go. There you go. What's yeah, two brothers, two brothers are just, you know. That's badass. My goal is to, I was talking about it with some guys on our, on the, I do a, a bicycle ride with some older guys in town. And uh, they're like, what's your plan, you know, in the future? I was like, well, I don't know this, that I was like, I'd like to stay in shape. And then, uh, you know, in 12 years when Cruz can turn pro, I'd like to maybe 
look at, you know, doing a pro race with, uh, with crews. Like I never got to do one with my dad. He was already retired. And I remember yep. Aaron and Rich King being in a national together and me and Shana have been in nationals together. I just thought, man, it'd be cool if I could stay in shape and maybe, uh, not lose too much speed. Uh, if Cruz decides to race motorcycles for a long time, it'd be cool to line sure. up with your kid on a, at a, at a pro race. Like I, I think Joe cop and Cody cop, they mentioned that they'd like to do something like that maybe in a, in a, at mm. the twin level. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I think that'd be cool. Really, yeah, cool. You got time to have a few more kids and then you could have three of them go out there and try to get on the podium. I'll just borrow some go, of Corey. Rob's kids. I'll just borrow some of Rob's. He's got like seven. So <laughs> just, I got plenty, but no, um, no, Corey, Corey, you need a couple more. <laughs> Don't be selfish. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, man. And we could chat for hours. Yeah, There's blast. so much, so much stuff, so much info. Um, I've talked to you about Dairyland Classic. I, I've been there. I've been there twice. I've been there once and it rained out. And then I was there yeah. once as a spectator, I was road racing at road America and, came over to spectate so high quality event man yeah everything you guys do there it's uh it's efficient you know we have a lot of the same thoughts on promoting races and maybe i'll I'll get a chance to get out there and uh and race i've I've been asking you a couple questions about it so i would like to get up there and and do it so yeah for those that don't know it's friday june the 3rd at the sheboygan county fairgrounds in uh plymouth wisconsin we do track prep from Sunday through Friday so that we don't have to do any water truck races once the racing starts. And I'm on the spectrum. So I start practice right at 5 PM, right on the nose. And I start my, my racing right at seven o'clock on the nose. And if I'm a minute late, I am losing my mind. Um, I focus, I tell everyone in the pit area every year that the most important people on the facility grounds are the people in the grandstands. If we keep them happy, if we give them a good show, if we're on time and we we're we're doing what we're supposed to do when we're supposed to do it, hopefully they leave happy and come back and bring a friend with them next year. If we piss them off, not only will we never see those people again, they will tell everyone they know what a crappy show this is and what a crappy uh, sport it is, and we're going to lose a whole bunch of people. And for 21, 22 years now, we've uh, we've been able to put on a high quality event, and I'm very proud of that. And uh, I tried to put on an event the way Santa Fe Speedway used to do it. And I've had several people tell me that it's pretty damn close. And that's, that's the highest compliment that, uh, that I could ever ask for. Cause that was, Absolutely. that was an awesome show. Absolutely, man. Yeah. And it, uh, and your, your reputation you know, speaks for itself. So yeah, definitely, uh, all those people out there, uh, go to that, that event. Um, cause, uh, I'll be there. So, <laughs> and, uh, but no, it'll be a good event. I can't, I, I'm really looking forward to it. Like I said, I've seen it, uh, Seen it from a spectator during a road race and then, uh, you know, looking forward to, to turning some wrenches and trying to see my guy go fast up there. Awesome. Awesome. Looking forward to it, guys. Cool. Yep. Thanks a lot for coming on, bud. Thanks, Bert. Hey, Talk I appreciate it very much. Thanks for having me. Oh, anytime. Yep. All right. There. You bet. Take care. Oh, man. man. Such a wealth of knowledge. Like, just yeah. a straight dictionary. You know, I love it's like, you know, the 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 dates like yeah and he's like oh wait he caught himself like there was no short tracks in 1953 like who knows off the top of their head but Bert Sumner <laughs> I know like, I wanted to throw out like who won the Springfield Mile in 1985 uh in the spring like just to see if he knew like try you know throw out some random fucking doozies just to see see I know I know have him throw them out so I would yeah. say you know Springfield he would probably he would have probably known that answer now he would have said like some 
obscure, like maybe only one time event that was just, just a, a so-so race. And he might be like, well, let me look up that. And I think and that sure would be easier. I think like well, knowing like the one-off events, like, okay, so who won the cow palace at San Francisco, the concrete indoor they did. And I think it was 2006. Was no, Chris we Carr. did it in uh, like Oh two or Oh three. So yeah, it was Chris Carr. I was there. Yeah. So it's like, but like, I don't remember who won Springfield in 2015. Like, I don't remember that. Like, Mies. did he? Probably. Me or Willie McCoy. No, right? Willie, Willie retired. No, he was still running then. I don't fucking know. I mean. I don't know either. It's bird, come back on. <laughs> uh, now I'm gonna like, do, I promise you I'm going to look it up before we hang up. Him chiming in all the champions from 80 or 75 to 85. I was trying to think like like who all want like how far back do i know it's like well i know parker you know 90 91 car 92 graham 93 um and then back to parker i think it was like 94 95 96 97 98 probably i forget i, I don't know yeah. i don't know it was, it was a lot and well, then there was, was car one in there's always like eras you know, because like we like the Parker era, and then like Carr kind of dipped in the Parker era, took a few away, but then Carr had his time, and then uh, then Jared took some of the Carr stuff away, and there's always like other winners sprinkled in there stuff. So obviously, Briar took you know, away cool some of Jared's. Cool best, yeah, yeah, cool best got a championship in there too, but but generally speaking, though, there's like blocks of time, and um, and, you know, and, and now Briar's dipping all into Jared's, and you know, it's gonna keep going, and then you know, eventually, uh. You know, well, it's just it's crazy. Be- like, if Carr and Parker didn't race the same era, how many wins they would have? Because Carr's got seventy-seven and Parker's got ninety-four. Oh, yeah. I mean, the numbers are crazy. Um, I think Carr's finished second in the points like six, six, seven times. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, he was only. I think he tied in points one year, or mm-hmm. and then he, you know, lost it on a whatever an asterisk type deal, and then I'm probably messing all this up, but I think he finished. I think he lost by one point. <laughs> we just yeah. had the stat Bert, guy on. I'm, in, I'm throwing in some bullshit stats. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I remember you know Jordan came in and he won the title in the you know, 04. So don't forget yeah. that one. I don't think I'm far <laughs> off. I know like the years. No, Kool you're... Beth, the year Coolbeth won in 2006, seven, and eight, and then yep. I I think nine Meese got it. And then it went back to Jake in 10 and 11. And then honestly, I think like Meese again, like 12, you know, 13, 14. Smith got it one Dude, year. Dude, you're, you're giving me a headache. Smith got it in 16. <laughs> and then Meese again on the Indians in 17 and 18. Briar in 19, 20. Oh, man. I sh- I'm like Burt Sumner Jr. And I'm just kidding. Uh, it's hard. Relax. Man. I can't like I don't know how he knows all of his stats. It's uh it's insane actually. So he'll he'll come back and listen and be like, oh that's wrong, that's wrong. So <laughs> oh yeah, he, he can be taking notes too. He did give me a compliment. One like uh like uh one of my articles he it was like a stat article and uh, he's like I was getting ready to fact check it, but I knew I saw that Corey wrote it and he always does his homework on his uh on his articles. So that was kind of cool. Like. <laughs> Um, is that when you were writing for Cycle World or whatever? Yeah, go Cycle World. I was doing like different articles, and I did like a top ten riders of all time, like based on accomplishments. And uh, yeah, and that was a cool article. I think you can still find that if you go on CycleWorld.com and you type in authors Corey Texter. I think a lot of those articles are still on there. So, um, kind of cool, man. But yeah, dude, not like you said, not a lot of racing going on. 
no big news, right? I don't think there's any big news. Um, no, I think I think the next big race, other than you know the national, uh, you know, Hacker and Nickens are putting on their RVA flat track coming up. Uh, we just had a Lima amateur race; it went pretty well. Um, you know, most of the usual suspects finished up front. Um, but uh, so, are you going to the RVA race? Are we going to see you there? Yeah, of course, man. Uh, my buddy Hack went and uh, he wouldn't let me live it down if I didn't support his race. So I'm excited. I, I hear. Uh, I hear Jared Meese is coming possibly. So that'd be cool. Um, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of big names. Of course, they made it a two day show. So, um, you know, they took after Corey Texter, who Corey Texter took after Robbie Bobby on these, you know, multiple day shows like Greenville. It's been a two day show for 12, 15 years or so. So, you know, everybody's, they slowly come around to see that Rob was always right, but it's, it's good. You know, I'm happy that everybody's doing that. Yeah, your checks but, uh, no, in the mail. Your checks in the mail for that idea. Yeah, Appreciate I bet. <laughs> but no, I'm I'm really excited. Mike and them. Yeah, Mike and them do a good program. They get great spectator turnout. They've got the best timing and scoring guy in the business doing their stuff. So, um, yeah, man, it's just a home run. It all all counts. Yeah, I'm excited. It's a fun little event. The track's dicey. It's uh it's cool. Uh, they have a PW class cruiser can get out there and run and and I can race and yeah, it'll be a good weekend. I, I love going down there. The fans actually like are stoked. Like they, I have a lot of fans oh, that come up so and just good. thank me for coming. Like, it's nice to feel appreciated. It's like, you know, it's, yeah. It's and it's, cool. and it's just a little small track, but it just goes to show, you know, uh, you put in a lot of effort, even a small track can be really fun. And, and you know, last time they're out of me, I know you've got some good paychecks. There's pretty racers that are thinking about going, um, you know, take some of Corey's lunch money if you can, because Corey goes pretty fast there, but, uh, you know, Jared will be fast. Um, the Honda boys are always fast. So it's going to be a good time. Yeah. 13th and 14th. I think it is. It's not this coming weekend, but it's the next weekend and it's in uh capital city speedway. And I think it's Ashland, Virginia. So no, I'm stoked for it. It'd be cool, man. Um, yeah. Appreciate the fans for tuning in. Uh, as always subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Keep us going. Leave us a review. Tell us how much you dislike or like what we're doing. It, you know, it definitely helps. And Shout out to the sponsors that make it happen. Mission Foods, Bell Power Sports, Yamaha Motors, Yamaha Motorsports and Yamaha Racing, Indian Motorcycle, Moto America, Dunlop Motorcycle Tires, Roof Systems of Dallas, Texas. And just, yeah, again, all the fans. Appreciate you guys. We got some good ones on deck. Um, keep the shows going. Appreciate you, Rob, for taking time to come on. And Heck yeah. Help, help Always fun, in. man. I, I was I couldn't, uh, couldn't turn it down, couldn't turn it down no matter what, but uh, yeah, it was a good, good show. Man. It was a lot of fun. That's a wrap until next time we out.